guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood, a podcast that celebrates women. Hello, beautiful friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Melissa, and you're listening to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast, where we pop bottles and celebrate women's stories, past and present. Today, I am coming at you with another Everyday Woman episode where I get to sit down and have an honest and raw conversation with a real life woman that is literally kicking ass and taking all of the names out there in life today. And the woman that I'm chatting with today is about to slap you silly with a buttload of inspiration that I'm not sure that you're even prepared to handle yet. Like the magic that is about to explode in your ear holes is going to be overwhelming, but also everything you've ever needed in your life. Today, I'm chatting with Pauline Wynn. She is a developmental coach, an author, a restaurateur, a shaman, literally my therapist for one hour in this podcast episode. Like she is all of the things and I am so excited for you to hear everything that she has to offer from the vulnerability of sharing her personal life story, one that is absolutely stemmed from survival. She, in her own words, had a shit childhood, and she's really spent her entire life healing those wounds and really shifting the framework of the generational trauma that existed in her family dynamics. Pauline is honestly an angel sent from a different dimension and she shows up in this podcast episode giving her absolute all with the one intention of helping each and every one of us today heal, grow, evolve, and develop in our own personal mastery. So I'm beyond thankful for her time and feel completely blessed that I had the opportunity to not only hear her story, but share it with everybody else that's listening. And I'm just so excited to hear what you think about it, because this is a special one. And it's special from the minute that it starts from the exact moment that it ends. So please do yourself a favor and carve out the next hour and a half to fully dive into this podcast episode. I guarantee you will get a lot from it. Other than that, thanks again for tuning into another episode with me and the podcast. And um, I hope you've got like six bottles of wine next to you right now because Pauline likes to party. Let's get into it. Pauline Wynn, welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. I am so excited you're here and I cannot wait for the audience to meet you. So welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. It is my joy to be here. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I have been looking forward to this recording for over a month now, and I kept seeing it on my calendar, and I am just have been so excited to chat with you. So thank you again for taking the time out of your life. You're all the way on the other side of the earth, which is just fascinating. Uh, so thank you so much. It really means the world. Uh, thank you for your words. I was actually on your side of the world three days ago. Oh, no way. That is hilarious. Today, I'm feeling semi-normal. Um, it's the, the jet lag's always worse coming back. Um, yeah. It, it had been, I reckon, a good two months of jet lag. It was Dubai, uh, US. Uh, I was there for, um, I guess, a, a month and two weeks or two, a month and a half. And back here, not in Sydney, but in Tasmania. I'm on vacation with my teenage daughter and her boyfriend. Oh my God. Well, what a lovely travel experience. So cool. So wait, right now you're in Australia or? Right. Yeah. I, right now I'm in um, a, a state in, Tasma- in Australia called Tasmania and oh we're um, enjoying amazing wine, amazing produce, and they're out fishing at the moment. <laughs> so cool. And it's in the middle of the day, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like six o'clock at night for me. And I think you said Wednesday afternoon for you. Yes. So, so interesting how we could be communicating while you're in the future and I'm on the other end of the earth. Is Tasmania a state that's like below the rest of the country? Yes, it's okay. uh, an island, island on itself. Um, alien in itself. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, there's plenty of... Um, forest and trees and inland if you wish if you're a tree hugger there's plenty of coast if you love the beach and the ocean and it very much prides itself on local produce amazing local local produce amazing wine um and you know my 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 family my my kids are foodies and her boyfriend uh, is also a foodie so it's been wonderful to travel with teenagers who appreciate really good food and and uh, the whole um, uh, local experience. Heck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like that's like not as common today either to have two teenagers that are interested in like the food and the culture and the experience and like less yeah. interested in being on like YouTube right now in their rooms or something like that. <laughs> so <laughs> so, that's um, so cool. Isaac got out uh, at seven, I, I was up really early. He got up at seven to go fishing, came back after a couple of hours with a fresh uh, mackerel. Um, oh. And they're back out there seeing what else they can catch for tonight's dinner. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. How fun. Oh, my gosh. It's been fun. Such, such an awesome experience. Well, I have been so excited to chat with you because you have such a fascinating life story. I mean, you have experienced some things. And today you are doing such awesome stuff. I mean, I was just going through like refreshing my brain on your website yesterday, just like looking through all these offerings that you have and like catching up on your story. And you are just like such an interesting woman. And I feel like you're somebody that so many of us can learn so much from. And so I've never met anybody like you, and I'm so excited to just learn more about you. So for everybody else that's listening, you are a development coach, you are an author, an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, a keynote speaker. Like, I mean, 
so many things. And it's fascinating. So I would love for you to just give the audience just like a quick brief overview of who you are, where you're living, like kind of some of the things that you've done. And then we can dive a little bit deeper into your story after that. I, I love that. I It's one of those things where um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram. Um, it's yes. A, it's a, yeah, so I'm um, type seven Enneagram. So it's all about freedom. It's all about variety. And when we're playing the healthy Enneagram, we can be very, very accomplished if our heart and our energy is in it. And mm -hmm. so um, I believe that the life we live must be the lessons that we teach. The life we live are the lessons that we teach. And um, you can't be an interest interesting person with interesting stories to tell if you don't do interesting things, right? And so, <laughs> and, and so it's whatever my, my heart, um, and, and I know that um, you're, you've been studying also human design, so I'm, I'm a generator. So if, I, if my heart and my energy is hooked into it, I've got to do the mastery on it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not so much about um, uh, um, trying different things, it's about I don't want to be a dabbler. I want to do the mastery piece. And mm -hmm. so as, as the life, um, uh, as life unfolded, as, as I evolved, so I uh, wrote a book in 2007. It became an international bestseller. I won awards for it. I was pushed into the uh, writing festivals. I was a shitty speaker. Okay, this has got to change. So I've got to master that. Um, I, I'm now represented by an agency called Ode who represent the top 15 non-celebrity speakers in the world. So I've got to get really good at that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then through my life experience, I started teaching um, what I've been learning, you know, and um, growing up was shit, right? Growing up was so shit, but we have a choice to say, um, I was the victim or I was the beneficiary. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where we were all beneficiaries, hey? Mm -hmm. So it was now, how can I frame all of that and, and teach people to see things differently? So I look back at that and I see that as my training. And so I teach people what I have had direct experience of. So that's, that's the, the now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I teach um, uh, stages of development because that's what life is all about, right? About next leveling, next leveling, next leveling again. And just doing it with absolute joy, hmm? absolute joy totally. and, and, and deliciousness. How can I um, experience all of this and um, ingest and then share? Uh, and it all started when um, a part of my story or as far as my memory can and can go back, my family and I are boat people. And so after the Vietnam War, my father was a lieutenant in the war. And when Saigon fell to communist rule, he uh, made the decision, as with so many Vietnamese at the time when Saigon fell, that we needed to escape the country. And um, he and his friends built a boat um, and smuggled us kids out of Vietnam from the center of Saigon. They posed as fishermen rather than escaping from some secluded area um, and pretty much escaped right under the noses of uh, wow. the communists. And there were uh, six adults and six children. We, the children, the women and children hid um, below deck and uh, we spent nine days out at sea. And in 1975-76, um, that's when we stayed we, a year in the refugee camp in Thailand 
Uh, we were only meant to stay for a few months, but he, it was a tough year. It was where my brother Luke was born. Um, uh, he is quite a um, global personality. Uh, Luke wins. Uh, he's, he's a famous chef. He has his own television shows, cooking shows, uh, travels around the world and um, just creates. And in 1978, we came to Australia. My father suffered terribly, terribly from PTSD. Um, he grew up with a lot of violence. Um, it was how his father expressed himself and his father's father expressed himself. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know any better. Um, and he, he dumped his anger. And if you can imagine uh, having lost the war, built a boat, uh, escaped Vietnam, spent a year in a refugee camp, coming to Australia with nothing, nothing, um, with a wife sick from tuberculosis, two young children. Um, I was three, my brother Lewis was two and a newborn baby. So he had a lot of anger. He had a lot of anger, you know, in this new world with no money, no home, no future, who knows what's going to happen. And he didn't have the tools that we do, right? So mm -hmm. he um, dumped his anger on his mother and soon he dumped his anger on us kids as well. So growing up was very, very violent, physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, mental abuse, and, and especially spiritual abuse. But um, it was all we knew as well. It was all we knew as well. But he was determined to um, make sure that the sacrifices he and my mother made were honoured. Um, mm -hmm. And he moved to a outer western suburbs called um, Cabramatta. Um, and it's famous for the migrants moving there. It was uh, European and then became, um, uh, I think the, 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 the Czechs and the Yugoslavs, and then it became uh, Italian and then it became Vietnamese. And mm -hmm. still, still to today, um, it's mostly Vietnamese. And he built quite the empire there. He's quite the entrepreneur. And uh, I started working full time when I was seven. Um, my, my, uh, we had a, um, it, he, he was struck by the entrepreneurial bug and the very first business he opened, he found a prime location in the heart of um, Cabramatta's bustling commercial district. Uh, and it was very colorful at the time. Um, you know, Vietnamese culture was new and everyone embraced it. Uh, he built, uh, the first business he built was a video library because <laughs> it, it was post-war. So all the movies at the time were uh, Full Metal Jacket, Born on the Fourth mm -hmm. of July, you know, Platoon, <laughs> Good Morning Vietnam, you know, all that stuff that uh -huh. was hugely patriotic. Um, and then he fell in love with um, Kapagani of Kapagani natural ice cream fame and sent us kids to ice cream making school. And it was professional fresh fruit ice cream we're not talking Yum. about the fake stuff and but that involved you know scooping out the passion fruit and selecting the ripe bananas and picking out all the jackfruit and the durian and um and he also opened cabramatta's very first um cafe he was Cabramatta's very first barista with a proper cappuccino making machine, you know, espresso machine at the time. And, um, and then a restaurant, which we became famous for. And he also operated a driving school on the side and us kids provided the child labor. Oh my God. <laughs> what child labor is involved in driving school? Oh, that was on the side. We, we were in, we were in the, the compound, you know, and um, on top of all of this, we had to get 
get good grades as well because that was very it's very important for um, the education piece and you know we we were beaten up if we had terrible grades we were beaten up if we woke up late we were beaten up if we came home late and so um we we're fucking tough man you know and 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 that was that was our training but i look back and what do i mean by it was our training you know sure all the resilience and the grit and the tough skin comes with it but it gave me this beautiful sense of what mastery really means. To watch my parents perfect a, 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 a dish or a soup or, or, or waffle cones for the ice cream, but yeah, they can be better. <laughs> and then tweaking the recipe so it can be better. Um, let's tweak the ice cream so it can be smoother. Let's froth this cappuccino a different way so it can be higher. And even today, there is still that sense of mastery, that sense of you can, yeah, you can still tweak a little bit more. And so um, the entrepreneurial spirit, that sense of mastery, that ferocious work ethic um, was literally beaten into us at a very young age. Um, but uh, look, the reality was uh, life was shit and I was sick of the violence. And at um, six, between 16 and 17, uh, not quite 17, but close to 17, I ran away from home oh, wow. and spent many years hiding from my father and, and, and his men and um, didn't see my mother. I broke, I broke her heart. I broke all their hearts. And my brothers, I have three brothers, they helped me to escape and uh, kept my location a secret from my parents for many years. And, were you um, far away or were you just like kind of hiding in the s same area? So um, I, it was Cabramatas and I hid out for a little while in a suburb called New Newcastle, mm -hmm. a coastal beach um, town um, with some friends at the time. I, it was literally in hiding. And mm -hmm. uh, Newcastle is, I guess, a, a, a two to three hour drive from, from where mm -hmm. we were. And I stayed there uh, for a while. I knew that everyone was looking for me and my brothers would um, inform me to, to, lay low, to lay low. And I waited for my HSC results. HSC results is like your SATs. Mm -hmm. And um, I got really good grades um, because I was beaten up all those years to get good grades. And so I um, uh, made it into a university, uh, well, the university degree that I wanted to get into, which was uh, a Bachelor of Arts in Communications. And so I had to go back to Sydney and finish my degree, um, looking over my shoulder everywhere that I went. Yeah paranoid that familiar faces would follow me, but I had to do what I had to do. I, I didn't want to become that loser that he thought I'd become because I ran away from home. You know, mm -hmm. he, he, in, in his mind, the only reason why my daughter would escape or run away was she was either pregnant or a drug addict. I, it was oh. neither. It's just, I just really hated home. Um, yeah. And uh, because of my um, upbringing and because of my ferocious work ethic, I ended up working in some of the best restaurants under the tutelage of some of the best uh, chefs and sommeliers and um, maitre d's in Sydney uh, to, to help me get through uni. And look, I, I didn't really like uni. I, I, I'm not one for following rules and, and structure um, and uh, love the hospitality scene. Mm -hmm. uh, graduated from university. Um, finally, <laughs> and lived in Paris for five years. 
Oh, uh, wow. Came, came back to Sydney uh, during 2000, which was the year of the Olympics. And that was when my brother Luke, he, it was one of his bucket list items. He had to open a Vietnamese restaurant. Again, he's training growing up um, in Cabramatta. And in those years, Melissa, Cap- Vietnamese food was very much about home cooking, um, that very uh, kitsch for mica tables, uh, very Asian. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what it missed was the professional execution of a trained chef. We didn't see any of those sorts of restaurants. Mm-hmm. And um, Luke was in hospitality, I was in hospitality. So we experienced what home cooking and home style and all those family traditional dishes and that heart and soul that goes into it. But we also had the professional training. We knew what, um, uh, you know, the the execution of how to make a proper broth, how to Mm -hmm. um, choose a decent produce and match it with a shit hot Mm -hmm. wine. And so that's what Red Lantern was all about, bringing uh, um, Vietnamese food out of that very home style expectation Mm -hmm. to a more professional level, um, even as service on the floor. And that was really the beginning of um, the Red Lantern fame. We uh, attracted a lot of uh, interest from the food writers, from um, the foodies, because the chef that we engaged at the time, um, who is Mark, who is the father of my children, um, mm-hmm. he was uh, a very famous chef at the time. Also, he was like, "Why? Well, why not? I'd never, I've never um, held a cleaver before." His history is Mediterranean cooking and European cooking, and uh-huh. um, very much about traditional French procedures, and I've never. Never held a walk before so um, my parents and 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 a, and a master um, Chinese chef taught him everything that he knows now and so we um, married the two cultures and uh, Red Lantern became this uh, huge success uh, 20 years later we're still around we've survived man so many economic downturns we've fallen to our knees time and time again but that's the grit part right that's the grit that's where the training comes in um, we come back and we swing the bat again and we swing the bat again and I think there's something to be said for still staying in the game um, long after the others have given up right um, oh absolutely man, the, the last two years have been a fucker <laughs> we're still around <laughs> I was just gonna say oh my gosh and on top of that pandemics and lockdowns and I mean just here in the Los Angeles area so many of our favorite places have been closed or, you know, a lot of these mom and pops that haven't been able to survive. And it, it's yeah. tragic to see that. Um, I actually also worked in the restaurant industry all throughout uh, college and I worked in a farm to table restaurant with a Michelin star chef. So I got all of the experience of the fine dining and the wines and the pairing and like the art and the beauty of food. And yeah, it is absolutely a beautiful experience to see food in that kind of way because, you know, a lot of the cultures today, it's just we're so busy and we're eating as quickly as we can and we're picking something up from this store or this fast food restaurant. But like it's it's really a magical, creative world. And I totally know what you mean in, you know, the excitement of being a part of something like that. It's just so cool that you are you built something like that with your own relative and it not only was successful, but through all of the hardship, you guys are still, 
still there and still kicking butt today. So, wow, congrats. Yeah. Well, look, it, 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 thank you, thank you. But it's hard work, man, you know, consistently oh, yeah. reinventing ourselves, consistently reinventing ourselves. And, uh, you know, they, it's, we don't give up because it's hard. That's the hard thing about hard things. We give up when it sucks. Mm-hmm. And um, perhaps we're just, it hasn't sucked bad enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> You know, being in lockdown and just, oh, okay, how are we going to reinvent? And we have reinvented mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. You know, we had um, a, a private dining room in the back of um, Red Lantern. Uh, and it's uh, 20 years. We're the most awarded Vietnamese restaurant in the world and with no customers, right? Because yeah. we're in lockdown. And then when lockdown was um, relieved, uh, we had number restrictions. So yeah. our private dining room, you can't have 30 people in a room. So oh. what does chef do? Um, he uh, creates a barbershop because before he was a chef, he was an award-winning hairdresser. And, um, <laughs> a man of many so, talents. <laughs> so he flew to Adelaide, up-leveled his skills, and we he, you know, put in some sh- amazing chairs. It's just become this cool hub. And at nighttime, we can't have as many people as we used to, but it's maximum 12 people. And they're mm-hmm. now having this cool dining experience in the middle of a freaking barbershop. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, that's funny though, because I feel like every time I go to my hairstylist, we drink wine and it's always a fun experience. Yes. (laughs) We're drinking wine now. (laughs) But because why, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Uh, I'm in, I'm in Tasmania. I was, um, I coached a client before coming online with you and, um, uh, talking to her about the Enneagram. And I said, well, I've got seven bottles open because, (laughs) Why should? Why wouldn't I? You know, I, I'm I'm in Tasmania, and so every right. time I eat something different, I'm going to try a different wine. You know. <laughs> so what are you What are you drinking right now? I'm drinking. It, these are Tasmanian wines. Um, a Springvale Pinot Gris. Oh, and, nice. Uh, before this, we had some amazing uh, local ham, and the um, at the deli, he was carving it off the bone, and I had that with a, a Pouli Chardonnay. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's like, what are we going to eat now? Cherries. What can we drink with the cherries? Yes. And you're on vacation. So it's just like, live it up. <laughs> That's the d- deliciousness of life, huh? The deliciousness oh, of life. That's what we yes. need to do. I am. Um, I didn't know if you were going to be drinking. So it's it's nighttime. So it's always about time for me to open the wine bottle seven o'clock over here. But this is yeah. actually a bottle that was gifted to me from my boyfriend's stepmom. It's yeah. a Santa Monica local wine, which I'd never had before. It's called Station 26. It's our lifeguard tower in Santa Monica. Um, but it's a Cab Sauvign- uh, Sauvignon and it's yeah. very good. I didn't awesome. know. I very rarely run into like local wines that I even get introduced to. So I was like, oh my gosh, for once I have something local. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Well, I wanted to ask you about how did you go from like having this awesome restaurant and then being like, we're going to write a book or like we're going to make a book (laughs) now. And I was like looking into it and it looks like you're incorporating like a lot of recipes with your book as well as like sharing more personal stories, I believe. Tell us, tell me a little bit more about it. Um, sure. I've published two books. Um, mm-hmm. the, the one you're talking about is called Secrets of the Red Lantern. That mm-hmm. was published in 2007. Uh, much to my surprise, uh, actually not surprise, it would be 
shock. <laughs> Not surprised, but shock. I won <laughs> debut writer of the year for it. I remember so vividly that evening I came home from um, somewhere and I got a text message from um, my publicist at the time saying I won debut writer of the year. I'm like, but how? <laughs> how? And it was the awards that was where the booksellers and the public vote for it. So it wasn't, we didn't win any, uh, anything for um, academic prowess. It was just what, the, <laughs> what, what touched people's hearts. Mm -hmm. The book that I released uh, two and a bit years ago um, called The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven mm -hmm. Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life, that won Best Entrepreneurship and Small Business Book Award. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's the, 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 the journey through that. But with the first book, Secrets of the Red Lantern, um, how it happened was I was so busy doing the restaurant thing. And because the restaurant was becoming quite popular and we won all these awards, um, I was approached by someone who said, can I write your life story? And oh. so I, I have a, a, a bachelor's degree, you know, mm -hmm. but writing a book was never in my periphery. I, I um, my background uh, in, in the course is um, filmmaking and oh, um, really? post-production. Post yeah, I'm never any good at it. I was never any, it was just a romantic thing that I loved doing. I moved to, I moved over to the UK and worked in the third largest post-production company in Europe. So it was back oh, and forth cool. to, um, at, at the time. Um, so this journalist approached me and said, um, I'd love to write your story. I'd love to write the Red Lantern story. And I went, okay. Um, and something clicked in my head is like, well, why can't I write my own story? <laughs> Why do I get have someone else to write my own story? So I said, thank you, but no, thank you. But thank you for the, the, um, <laughs> for the, the idea. idea, for the idea. <laughs> and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm marinating in this for a while and going, you know what? I actually have a fucking good story to tell. I've never written a book before, but doesn't matter. It's like I love singing. I'm terrible at singing, but doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, and so I wrote a few chapters, I reckon maybe three chapters. I put together some sort of a framework and acted as if I acted as if, and at the time, the most, the, the most powerful publishing house in Australia at the time was called Murdoch books. They're still around. They're just not as big as they used to be. And they, uh, they were famous for lifestyle books. And this was during the time when, you know, a lot of money went into making the books and the photography and whatnot. And this is where um, providence and um, divine timing comes in. And so Mel, I called up Murdoch Books. Hi, it's Pauline from Red Lantern. Um, I'd love to come in and have a, a, a meeting with the head publisher. I had no idea who the head publisher was. Um, and um, I've got a bookstore, I've got a book idea. Uh, and I think it was Pauline from Red Lantern, which got me in the door. Mm -hmm. And I went there and it's like, what have I got to lose? And her beautiful woman, her, her name's Kay Scarlett. She was a head publisher at the time. Rocked in, I was a bit overwhelmed by just how 
amazing everything was. The office was on the pier overlooking the harbour and everything was so fancy schmancy. And as you walk in, they've got a whole wall of these amazing, amazing books and many of them were famous. We sit in the office and I said, here are three chapters. This is my um, uh, um, sort of framework for it. Um, and we have so many beautiful recipes and I'm going to create uh, this beautiful journey. I've already decided who the photographer is going to be. I want Alan Benson. You know, I don't know if you know his photography, but look at it. It's amazing. It's so honest. And, um, and yeah, <laughs> anyway, silence. And she said, the book is going to be called Secrets of the Red Lantern. It's going to become an international bestseller. And Alan Benson is one of our resident photographers. I agree with you. And in my head, I'm going like, fuck, now i got to write it. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a book deal. I got a book deal. And, That's unreal. Um, I hadn't written anything except those, you know, three chapters. And I reckon there were, it was, you know, I, I um, but my, my writing, uh, I guess, I wasn't as experienced a writer as I am now. It's been, um, you know, um, a good chunk of time in between. I look, I read that book and essentially my plan, and of course I didn't tell this to the publishers, was that it was a, it, it, it is a very dark and personal memoir, which I had to disguise as a cookbook so people would buy it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it worked, it worked a treat. Um, but that book really changed my life. Um, the the journey of it and, um, w you know, us talking about food and wine and there's just something about that um, breaking bread with people, mm -hmm. uh, sharing their stories and um, Murdoch Books did really well to um, spread the book overseas and, oh man, uh, I haven't thought about this for a while, but the amount of letters and emails from people all over the world and survivors of child abuse, uh, of violence, um, Vietnam vets who read mm -hmm. the book and thought my father a hero, hospitality people, entrepreneurs. Some, well, a fascinating thing was I got a lot of letters from the children of survivors of the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Um, same story, different war. Right. Uh, very much about the parents um, not knowing what trauma is, but it gets passed down generation to generation if it is not un uh, if it is not resolved and healed. Mm -hmm. um, and and that I think that in itself was the the palpable substance essence of that book. And um, and then it it was put into the school curriculum um, in their libraries because it also showed a huge amount of history. Mm -hmm. um, the history of the Vietnam War, the history of the immigration to Australia, um, and um, uh, in, in particular, a lot of displaced Vietnamese loved reading that book as well. And of course, the foodies, <laughs> the foodies yeah. loved it. But with that book, um, I remember Murdoch Book saying, now you've got to do the um, writing festivals, the writers festivals and go out there and speak. And I hadn't healed from my traumas, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, they were still deep, deep, deep. My main motivation for writing the book was um, I was a new, a new mum and I wanted to create some sort of an heirloom so that my daughter um, understood why 
I was the person I was, where we came mm. from, what it took to get here. And that was the main motivation. You know, you could never, I could never have guessed um, what journey lay ahead. So I said to Murdoch Books, am I, are you going to give me some media training? You're are, right. Are you going to help me out? You know, yeah, help, help me out here. Even <laughs> write, writing the book, Melissa, I, I would get it back from the editor and I said, but you haven't done anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> you haven't even made me sound smart. <laughs> Can you make me sound fucking smart? And uh, they said, no, we need your voice. We, and of course they knew what they were doing because I won, I won the award that the people, the people um, voted. Um, but what happened, my own experience of speaking at the writers' festivals and going on stage, because of the trauma, I couldn't tell my story without losing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the old wounds would bubble up and sometimes I just couldn't even speak. I was frozen and it's like, this is not cool, man. This is this is just not cool. And so that really was because of that book, that really was the journey in being, um, uh, making the decision to really sort my shit out, sort my shit out and um, uh, engaged with, uh, developmental coaches, uh, mm-hmm. spiritual teachers, but also the um, stagecraft and um, becoming a, a, a master at all the stuff that I wanted to do. I, I didn't want to become that person on stage that cried yeah. all over the place. The emotions yeah. are still there, of course. They're still, they still um, reside in, in um, organs, particular organs in the body. I, have, I just know how to master them now, you know. And mm-hmm. you know when you've healed, when you can tell those stories or have those experiences um, without the pain, you know. Um, yeah. How do you know you've healed when you are no longer that? I was sad. I'm no longer sad. I was angry. I'm no longer angry. And so the whole journey really is a testament to how much work I've done and how much I've healed. Totally. I, oh my gosh, I have a couple of questions for you. One is when you were telling me about your book and writing the book, releasing the book, at this point in your life, were you, had, had you reconnected with your parents at all? Were they aware that you were writing this book and it was going to be this <laughs> memoir? Like, because last I heard about your parents, you you ran away. <laughs> and now, yeah. fast forward, you know, you've lived this whole life and you've moved to the UK and Europe. And like, at, at any point, did you end up reconnecting and like let them know like what you were up to or did they find out? So on two levels, the first level being, fuck, my daughter has 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 run away. There's mm-hmm. a huge uh, amount of fear. Where is she? What's happened to her? What is she doing? Because my brothers were under strict instruction to say no thing, to say mm-hmm. no thing. They also had to play dumb. They had no idea what, they knew where I was the whole time. Mm-hmm. And um, my mum, on the one hand, that was the pain that she felt. But my parents as a collective, the other pain was shame shame amongst their community. Everyone knew that I ran away. Everyone knew because they had to all assist in trying to find me, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it got to the point where my brother said, mom is really suffering. So now this is about five years since I've been gone. Mom mm-hmm. is really, really suffering. And um, we would like for you to see her secretly. Can this happen? Uh, I think that if we tell her not to tell dad, 
I believe that she won't. So, okay, I, I agreed. And I secretly uh, allowed my mother to visit. Mm-hmm. And my mom, bless her, because food was their language, right? They spoke through the language of food. She would make my favorite dishes <laughs> and hide them in the back of the freezer. Oh, until wow. The, until the next time that she saw me. And so every time she visited, there'd be bags of frozen um, Vietnamese pork chop or uh, fermented fish or pickled vegetables. It was, she'd always make something of my favorite foods and freeze them so that I would have an endless supply every time she came in and, and topped that up. So after a few years of secretly meeting her, um, time heals, right? Time, time heals. Mm-hmm. And she begged me to see my dad. And I said, it, okay, it has to be with people around and it has to be in a public place. And again, so we're talking about mastery, right? My parents were still doing cooking courses, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. even in learning something different. And this was a course where they could learn um, how, how to be caterers and all the food safety and all that stuff that comes with being caterers. And it was held at the Queen Victoria building, which is an iconic building in the um, central business district in in the city. And I remember that day so vividly uh, going with my my brothers and my partner at the time, watching my parents in their chef's whites graduate from this course. Oh, wow. there was a lot of pride and it was also very weird and very awkward. And my father was on his best behavior and he made a speech and he said in his speech, I wanted to thank my daughter for being here today. Oh, that's amazing. And so that was really the start of our healing. And um, then, you know, Luke wanted to open a restaurant and they came after their shifts every night and assisted him with secret recipes. And they taught Mark everything that they knew. And the nights, the days were long and the nights were long. And um, I said to my parents, I'm going to write a book um, about our life. And um, I'd love for your assistance with the recipes and uh historical facts, etc., etc., dates, times, conversations. And they were so willing to help. So I got a lot of information from them. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day uh, I was, we were in the restaurant and we were, had a, a big table, the publishers that were there, the designer was there, and the whole table was covered with photos photos of my father as a handsome young man, their wedding photos, our ch- our childhood photos. And my parents rock into Red Lantern when it first opened in Crown Street. And I remember him waiting at the door, stopping at the door going, oh my God, this is actually real. <laughs> it's not some university project. Right. It's not it's another like, not a WordPress crap. blog that no one will yeah. read. <laughs> it's not another it's not another shitty short film that she wants us to act as an extra in, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I was making these shitty short films at the time. And he went quiet, he looked at everything, and he it hit him the enormity of this very real thing. 
and he sat at the back and it, it was processing and he demanded to read my book and it hadn't been, it's not, not finished. Yeah. And um, there are 10 chapters all up in the book and it was the seventh chapter that I'd finished and the seventh chapter is the worst chapter about him. My intention was to write the whole book and then give it to him in its entirety. Yeah. So that he could see what a beautiful arc of the story it was. It's a beautiful story of personal freedom and family and it really is a beautiful story. But by the end of the seventh chapter, he demanded to read it. Mm -hmm. And I had no choice but to hand over the unfinished manuscript. I remember my brother Luke going, uh, can we just make something? He's going to read it eventually. Just give it to him. And I didn't hear from him for three months. Oh, wow. Um, and, and, and I needed to hear from him. So uh, I um, uh, Father's Day came and I went home and faced the music and um, I had a newborn baby daughter at the time. And I drove home in the car and I, I still remember the, the, the somatics. My, my throat was clenched, my, my shoulders ached and... I'm not scared because he's going to be violent or anything like that. I'm scared because I'm actually going to do something that's never been done before. I'm going Mm -hmm. to end this family's pattern. I'm going to end this family's pattern. And so I'm, I'm at the door. Um, I've brought with me a case of his uh, favorite wines. He likes to drink as well. Um, They open the door. They see Mia. She's so small. They take her from me. And um, we go go in and they've created this feast. Uh, I remember the dishes as well, uh, caramelized prawns, uh, caramelized pork, uh, tomato prawns, and very fittingly, bitter melon soup, bitter melon soup, and uh, roast duck. And we sit down to eat and um, I said, hey, Dad, what do you think about my book? <laughs> It's been three months. I have to finish this thing. Yeah. You know, I have to finish it. And uh, my publishers are, uh, you know, are putting on the pressure. And he went silent and he says, it's good, it's, it's good, it's good. But there's just one thing wrong. There's just one thing wrong. He's, the fish sauce recipe's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, this has got to change. It's the same pattern. Everyone's pretending. Everyone's pretending again, you know. And so... Um, we pretend a bit more and I ask him again, Dad, no, seriously, what do you think about my book? And he gives me the same response about the fish sauce recipe. I'm really upset now. And so I grab my baby, I grab my things. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to write it. I'm going to leave. And I said, no, ask him one last time. And I said, Dad, no, what do you really think about my book? Come on. And he says to me, uh, do you know why Buddha sits on a lotus flower? Like, no, Dad, why does Buddha sit on a lotus flower? And he says, there's nothing as beautiful as a lotus flower. Out of watery chaos, it grows, emerging from the depths of a muddy swamp and yet remains so pure and unpolluted by it. And so with the lotus flower, uh, you can eat it, you can eat all of it. Um, the, the leaves, the roots, uh, the petals, the stem, And he said, but the lotus flower has another characteristic. Its stalk you can easily bend, but you cannot easily break. It has tenacious fibers that hold the plant together. My children are lotus flowers. Uh, You've grown out of the aftermath of war. 
you've grown up in Cabramatta during its murkiest time and you've grown out of me. I am mud, I am dirt, I am shit, I am very lucky to have you all. And so with those words, he gave me everything that I had been waiting over 20 years for, right? But the thing was, he didn't give us an apology. He didn't give me an apology. What he gave was acknowledgement. Yeah, I was just going to say that, acknowledgement, which is something that many people don't ever get. Acknowledgement of the harm that he had inflicted. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, later on, he says, there's a right time and a right place for everything. And had he read the book 10 years ago, he would have exploded and would Mm -hmm. have probably beaten the crap out of my brothers and my mom and and, and everyone. And he said, but there's a right time and a right place for everything. And and it's it's one of the things that I teach. And I think the the universe only hands to you that which it knows you can handle at any point in time. Mm -hmm. And so that point, that book was really the, um, the, the, the catalyst for my family's healing. And so fast forward to today, we are all very good friends. Oh, and, I love it. And, and they say that, um, you know, we, 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 we choose to come back in this lifetime to atone, um, mm-hmm. to make amends. And it really is a case of evolving or repeat, evolve or repeat, evolve or repeat and to um, change the karma, to end the karma, to make better the karma. And I can honestly, honestly say, hand on heart, he really has changed uh, the trajectory of all of that. Um, So ultimately, a very brave man to be able to read a story and know that it has gone out to the world and and, and be very proud of it. Um, I, he, he must be very proud. I'm very proud of him. I'm very proud of both my parents for the journey that, um, uh, had, for their journey to have unfolded the way it has unfolded because of the choices that they made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that is so powerful and moving and touching. I'm like tearing up over here. Like what a beautiful story. And, you know, I, I in a, in a, sense I have experienced similar things that you have growing up with particular personality types and trauma in the household and I am in my mid-30s and I'm still waiting for that acknowledgement that I've wanted since I was a really young child so I know what that feels like and what that waiting is like and I look forward to the day that I one at some point for whatever reason get that same acknowledgement. I hope that happens for you also. Yeah, it's something I've really wanted for a long time. I'm curious, have you ever, uh, during this entire experience of your whole life of just navigating all these different chapters, at any point did you ever uh, attend like therapy of any kind? Uh, I haven't attended any therapy. I've had mm-hmm. uh, a whole lot of developmental coaching and I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have the same coach as I did um, 12 13, 14, 15 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I have a string of mentors and um, I have one executive developmental coach, but no therapy, um, mm-hmm. even though I um, uh, I know that there was a, I remember um, when I was pregnant with my first child and the, the midwives bless them, you know, you fill in those forms. Have you been beaten as a child? Tick. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, your dad exists. Yeah, okay, tick. Uh, you, you, what's your mum this tick? What's childhood shit tick? And then, therefore, you must go get um, join this uh, join this group. I'm like, okay, okay. Uh-huh. And um, and so I joined the prenatal classes, and uh, I knew that I didn't belong. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was like, you don't you don't need to waste your money on me. It's okay. Um, and I was writing, I was creating businesses. And mm-hmm. and then um, after the birth is that you, in case anything happens, go to these postnatal classes. And I found myself making up shitty stories just so I could fit in. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and so I, uh, to answer your question, uh, it's not that I, um, I didn't think I needed it. I just needed the proof that I didn't need to um, from the experts. And so it's not a, for me, it's not about uh, the, the, the coaching that I do now is not about um, uh, psychotherapy. It's Mm -hmm. developmental coaching to Mm -hmm. develop to the next stage of our evolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and you know, one thing I always think about and I talk about a lot on this podcast is that you know, all the things that we never learn in our lives, they either just are not taught during the school system, they're not discussed in the household. Like there are so many important factors of personal growth and development that we get absolutely zero guidance on. Yeah. I mean, really, life is just being thrown out into the trenches and you figure it out. Yeah. And the people that don't know how to figure it out, I mean, which is most of us, you know, we go through a lot of hardship, but I feel like it takes, you know, particular experiences for people to say, I need to figure this out. Like, I need to make change. Like, you have to really want it, but also within yourself, acknowledge it and say, there has to be more opportunity. There has to be growth. There has to be more out there for me. Like, this isn't just it. There's an expansion process that I've not been introduced to or, you know, had the opportunity to learn about in my current circumstances. And I feel so lucky even in my own podcast to have connected with so many women who are providing these things because where else would you get them? I mean, therapy really is kind of the only real resource that is a uh, I guess, like mainstream for the society, like it is something people can do to get support and expansion and it is available for lots of the world that have health insurance or can afford it. But I feel like there's this new wave of opportunity for people to really like zero in on the expansion and the evolution and there's so many people that are offering it and helping it, uh, helping you find it. And it's such a beautiful thing that I feel like I, I don't know how prevalent that was in the past historically. I mean, really historically it wasn't unless you were like the witch lady down by the river that people, you know, thought was to be burned at the stake. But like throughout time, it's becoming so much more common that, you know, we're realizing and accepting and excited about exploring development. And it's just we're so lucky and privileged to live in a life where it it is available to us and it's a thing and people like yourself are offering it. And, oh, my God, I just can't wait to hear more about it. (laughs) I I think also when we're in tune and are tuned with the collective consciousness before Mm -hmm. the 60s, this self-awareness piece didn't exist because humanity 
wasn't ready. And when I talk about um, collective downloads, you know, the we live in in a multidimensional reality. And so the download during the 60s was now we had this thing called the self. Yeah. Um, now people started to look within that that was unheard of before then, you know, because that was wasn't downloaded onto us yet. And so now it was about um, the, 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 the inner self and that curiosity. And as you start to investigate that is like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to be OK with expressing my sexuality. Mm-hmm. I'm now, now I'm now going to say, um, no, as a woman, I'm not going to be treated like that, you know, or as a man, no, I'm not going to go to war. And we start started to look within and that's where it really started. And so as a, um, um, as a very first step, it's curiosity and then permission, right? Curiosity and mm-hmm. the permission, giving ourselves um, permission to look into this, giving other people permission, coaches, mentors, teachers, to give us more insight. And uh, it um, exploded because now we realize that actually I have the power. Holy shit. It, there's actually nothing wrong with me. It's part of being human. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm actually allowed to be upset and angry and furious and joyful and sexy and all of that. So can we get to a point where we integrate all of it, grab all of it, putting into and 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 holding onto it and integrating it and then putting it out there as the truest expression of ourselves, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the very, very best of ourselves in this very, very present moment in the, the self-realization. And from there, when we have that taste of that power, um, power not being forced, right? And that sense of empowerment, um, we can't unknow what we now know, right? And so the mm-hmm. the personal development stages and, and the work, it's never ending. It's never ending. Mm-hmm. Never. And, and then we can talk about um, soul ages and, and soul life. And for some people, they will never see it in this lifetime because they're still young souls. Um, mm-hmm. you, you need to be a, an older soul, at least a, a level six soul to be able to say, okay, there is actually something more than this. Um, but you have to have had those many lifetimes in order to, 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 to be, to be here. And, and this is what, uh, uh, true spirituality is to, um, become now in spirit and, and inspired. And this is what fits in with developmental psychology. And I, I love the, um, I love, you know, this podcast It's like, hey, what are you drinking? Let's drink wine, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, do you like sex? Yeah, so do I, you know, and um, I, uh, the, the book's called The Spiritual on the Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur. I, I speak around the world about spirituality, but my spirituality, the spirituality that I teach has nothing to do with uh, tarot cards or, or palm mm-hmm. reading or Ouija boards. Um, there's plenty of people who do that much better than myself. Um, the spirituality that I teach is the way of the spiritual entrepreneur. You mm-hmm. know, it, it takes a, an ilk of person to be a, an entrepreneur. And, um, but we don't, the spiritual entrepreneur doesn't do things the old ways. Uh, the old ways being, you know, I have to be the first at work you know, mm-hmm. and the, and the last to leave and the, um, the, the old, uh, the old ways of entrepreneurship is, um, you know, if you're not working, uh, to the bone and, uh, tired all the time. And if you're not risking any, everything, mm-hmm. then you're not really an entrepreneur, you know, you don't deserve that. Yeah. Being there, done that made myself really sick. 
Yeah. Oh, that happens to me all the time. You know, it's really wild. I get into these ruts where I'm like obsessive compulsively. I have like a regular day job, like nine to five, Monday through Friday. And then I do this, which is every other hour after the fact that my nine to five's done. And I will have these weeks where I'm working so hard and I'm so stressed out and just totally energetically depleted. And then by the end of that week, I'm sick with the flu. Yeah. And I'm like, now I'm actually literally out for another 10 days. Like, I'm yeah. sneezing. I'm, like, dying. Like, and I, I've I've caught on to this pattern where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm literally making myself sick. Yeah. How does that my make sense? My body is actually <laughs> becoming ill. Yes. It's dis, dis, disease and disease. And so that the way that, you know, most people work, that's from an ancient age, right? That's from an ancient age. The idea that working longer and harder... Um, is more productive, um, you know, that's kind of outdated, especially when your body is trying to communicate to you that that's not okay. It, that's the that's the old model of success. And so um, uh, uh, I believe that we're here on this earth to do three things, is to evolve. You're not gonna evolve if you're sick all the time. No. <laughs> right, and, and you're not gonna evolve if you're not consistently doing the developmental work. Um, and to second of all is to push humanity forward. What are we doing to push humanity forward? And the third is to do it with joy, to do it mm -hmm. with joy. And that's the, the third part is, is the, the one that a lot of people forget about, you know. And so um, wearing uh, burnout as a badge of honor or, or redlining, that's not, that's not doing things with joy, you know. And, no. and, 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 and you get it. We're not afraid of hard work. We can probably work harder than most people we know, right? We're not allergic to making money either. It's just not the drive. And we understand that if you don't do the work, you don't get the pay. But if you don't get the pay, you don't get to play. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> and and um, <laughs> The book is called The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life. And um, we don't follow the pursuit of happiness because we understand that fearlessness, unshakability, um, stressing less, they are much more powerful traits as an entrepreneur. But we understand that it's not the pursuit of happiness, but finding happiness in the pursuit. And so, um, you know, if we're going to deliver world-class artistry, uh, world-class mastery, uh, we understand that working more often produces less, hey, Mel? <laughs> right. You're going to get sick, you know, because <laughs> you don't get time to recover. You don't get time to renew, to regenerate. You don't get time to read or study more, mm -hmm. to, uh, to contemplate, uh, to daydream. And so uh, uh, those who follow, follow my work, they'll know that I spend a lot of time in my bikini in the sun. <laughs> oh, I love it. By, by the ocean, uh -huh. um, walking barefoot on the grass, um, uh, waking up and watching the sunrise. And there is a whole lot of scientific data behind the why I do the things that I do. And, um, you know, allowing myself to daydream so that I can be in a place of stillness, so that I can be closer to the sun, the solar, the soul, the solutions. And I'm not going to find the solutions in life if I'm freaking busy, 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 busy. And uh, I'm not going to find the time to be still so that new ideas can incubate. But then when it's game on, 
man, it's game on. I reckon we can out-focus, out-invent, um, out-work most people we know, right? But then when we've, when we've created this hot burst of flaming audacity, this hot burst of mastery, we go dark. <laughs> yeah. Where'd she go? Oh, she's gone. Uh, go silent. And, and because we rest, rest is a weapon. Rest is a weapon. And, uh, um, you know, the, the legendary producers are other um, professional resters, the master resters. Um, mm -hmm. And so we see things very, very differently, um, not doing things the old way anymore. Um, you know, we ask ourselves questions like, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? I want to remain in spirit and inspired so that I can do my best work. Okay, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? Um, sit in the sun, um, be with my lovers, um, drink really great wine, match it with food, you know. And so um, inner peace is my destination. Joy is my GPS. What do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? And we do things very differently. And we're more successful at evolving, at pushing humanity forward and to do it with joy. So the spiritually, uh, spirituality I teach is very much about self-mastery and um, uh, very much about um, embracing the deliciousness of life. Uh, mm. and, and, you know, what's one of the first laws of the law of attraction? Become fucking attractive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not just looks. I mean, that helps. But also the words we speak, the thoughts yeah. we think, the company that we keep, how fun we are, you know, and then we start to magnetize. We start to attract people in our orbit to help us to get to where we want to go faster. Because when we know where we're going, we know how to, we know who to take with us. And mm -hmm. you know what? Life becomes full of joy, full of deliciousness. And we don't get to do it alone because people just want to be around. That's so cool. You like, I feel like excited to just start being as spiritual and as wholesome <laughs> and as like carefree and lively and just colorful and just like waiting to watch all the things I've ever wanted just come and gravitate toward me. Like it, it yeah. makes me excited. I'm like, all right, step one, what's up on the list? Like how yeah. do I start navigating into this new wave of myself? Absolutely. And it's, it, it's when we're, we are the truest expression of ourselves. The universe mm -hmm. rewards us for it. And so mm -hmm. the spirituality that I teach, it's not about renouncing everything. You don't want to renounce anything. You know, a, a few years ago, I, I gave a keynote in the Gold Coast and um, I was also invited to go to the gala dinner I think there was about a thousand people there uh, after my keynote went to the gala dinner and this young gentleman uh came up to me and said I thought you were all spiritual and shit you know and I'm like what what, what do you mean by that mate and he goes well you're drinking alcohol uh you're, you eat meat I've been watching you you know you swear a lot and I said oh okay what what ah Oh, so your expectation, uh, can is that, you know, you're expecting me to eat vegan air, you know, sit in lotus position, uh, you know, meditating, because I like to wear sexy clothes. And I was wearing a very sexy dress at the time. He goes, you certainly don't dress spiritual. And I said, so whose expectations are they? Yeah. And, and you're expecting me to live up to your expectations? Whose expectations are they, mate? And, um, and he just went quiet. And he, he nodded and I said, they're your expectations. Here you go. You can have them back.
Yeah, right. There, there, there you go. But you know, we're not here to renounce anything. And when we do the deep, deep spiritual work, the the deep soul work, where we understand that we're not here as as humans to have this soul experience, a spiritual experience. That's part of it. But we understand that we're here as souls, as spirits, to have the human experience. Mm-hmm. And when that really lands, when we can really, really get that. It changes the game, you know. And so, without the human body, uh, I can't. My, my soul can't hug my daughters. My, my soul can't hug my son. You know, without the human body, my soul can't um, experience the deliciousness of this wine or sit here and share this conversation with yourself. Uh, I can't call up that guy and tell him I've got the hots for him. You know, I can't <laughs> dance and wear these beautiful clothes. Well, that's that's what the the soul needs the human body for. And then when we can really get that, you're not just you're gonna want to embrace and inhale all of it and not want to renounce anything. And then the human body says man i i didn't even know you were there how's how's it going can 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 we dance and the soul will say far out i've been waiting for you where have you been where have you been all my life and then when the soul and the human body get to dance together man life just becomes delicious and then we can do it with joy this is true spirituality to live your life in spirit and inspired so that you can do your best work you know and um otherwise why are we here why are we here other than to express the truest highest expression of ourselves god i preach cheers like all of the above (laughs) you know i feel like i learned that uh, i learned a portion of this lesson when i was around 19 or 20 years old i was living in san francisco and i was dating this hippie and he was obsessed with the grateful dead which is a band from the 60s psychedelic music he introduced me to the band, got me to start going to these concerts with him. And, you know, I was just kind of like a regular everyday girl. It was in college and I had gone to Catholic school my whole life. And I showed up to these concerts with just like an environment I'd never seen in my entire life. Like it was people who were just living. Like that's the best way I could describe it. There was no concern, worry, fear, judgment there was none of that existed in this world it was just spirits at their highest high with like zero boundaries and when i first started going i was very self-conscious i felt like i couldn't be that i couldn't become this i was afraid people were looking at me everyone was dancing wild with bare feet and paint on their face and i was like i don't know how to do that like i don't i'm not that person and it it took me a while to like grow into it and the longer Lovely. i went and the more shows i went to i started to see my arms were a little looser my shoulders dropped my feet started kind of pitter pattering i was spinning here and there and within a year oh my god <laughs> You were having a good time, experiencing joy. (laughs) And I just remember like, and I'm still that way today. I'm still going to these shows in my middle 30s. I go by myself now. I dance in the front row all alone, spin, let my hair fly in the sky, sing at the top of my lungs. I've In 10 years, I've never once questioned, is anybody looking at me? Because it's never mattered. All that's ever mattered was feeling the music on my hands and my heart, my soul and my ears and letting my body move with it. And I remember feeling, you know, as somebody who grew up in a Catholic church for 
my entire life feeling it myself in my mid-20s, this is my new religious experience because yeah. it was the most free and the most spiritual I'd ever felt in, yeah. in my entire life's existence. It was the first time I was actually connected to spirit. Yes, in spirit, in spite. Your soul's going, thank you, buddy. Oh. And buddy's going, thank you, soul. Yes, that was happening. It was the body and the soul were yeah. for the first time uniting as one. And I was literally dancing. As happy <laughs> and as free as I could ever have been. And it, gosh, you know, it. I'm so thankful for the hippie with the dreads that sold the hot dogs because yeah. he introduced me to that life and the ability to be that way. And yeah. Oh, now I'm like, now I'm thinking, you know, I can extend that further than the concert stage. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. Which is what the, the way of the spiritual entrepreneur is all about, taking that into life and into business and into entrepreneurship so that we can um, change the game, so that we can change yeah. the game. Yeah. Oh, well, I would love for you to tell everybody about, like, I know you have retreats that are already sold out into 2022. <laughs> like I was looking to see, you know, what's going on. I'm like, oh my God, she's already sold out for the whole year. But I know you have like a three month program. Like I'd love to just hear like what kind of offerings that you have in case anybody that's listening is like, oh my gosh, I need to know more. I need to be deeper in this. I need to develop. W wonderful. Thank you. Well, um, my um, I hold retreats. I lead retreats for men and women, not co-ed. I hold retreats only for women and retreats only for men. Um, mm -hmm. The women retreats, uh, um, February has sold out a few spots left in October. They're in New South Wales in Australia. Um, I'd love for as many women as possible to send me your men um, mm -hmm. for my um, Ra retreat. Um, Ra is the sun god. He traverses the sky, the middle earth, the underground, and the eye of Ra is his female counterpart. Um, she's the violent one who will strike down any of his enemies who will dare harm her man. And so our men need protection too, just as the women need protection too. So it's not about men's work or women's work, it's about human work. And, and how we can um, support one another. Um, the Ra retreat is um, in, in March um, and my um, uh, entrepreneur accelerator program has already started. I do that once a year. There is a wait list to go there. That's, that is my signature program. That has changed so many people's lives. Um, you know, people have healed from cancer, uh, from kidney failure, from depression, from dis-ease to experiencing a very different life. You get me live for three months. And, um, but a, a first, uh, I guess, entry level into my work would be to um, get the book and uh, to experience the meditations. Um, I'm also shaman from many lifetimes. There's a whole lot of shamanic activation and that's how I get um, results so fast for my, for my clients and my students because we don't only play with the semantic, we also play with the somatic body work breath work, um, uh, movement work, and then of course the soulmatic where the shamanic practices come into play and we um, uh, experience multidimensionality and uh, activating the dormant DNA to have be the truest, highest expression of ourselves. So there are act, uh, meditations on my website that you can experience. So that would be a great first level. Um, otherwise, I'm um, a shit hot international speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Book me for your people. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, 
this has been such a fantastic conversation. I have one more question for you, which I already told you earlier in the episode. But before we like even get into that portion, I just wanted to ask you if like, I mean, honestly, I could talk to you for like the next seven hours, which (laughs) we can't do. Um, (laughs) But if there is anything that like you wanted to talk about and, you know, we either skimmed past it or, you know, it it just hasn't gotten brought up yet. Is there anything else that you want to tell, whether that's a portion of your story or more about being the spiritual entrepreneur or anything about the restaurant industry? Just anything particular that we haven't covered that you really think is very important to include in our conversation today? Um, I uh, thank you. There's so much we haven't covered, but I think as we're going into 2022, given the uh, tumultuous, eventful nature of the last two years, to and this is not for myself. I'm not. I don't want to sell anything. It's for the audience to understand that 2020 was a four year. 2020 um, was a shit show for many of us. A four year being, it was the time to the year of the architect, the time to build. And um, my, my, my guides and my teachers had already told me that something was going to happen. Um, we didn't know what it was yet. And, and to tell your people, Pauline, to prepare. And um, I had told my people, uh, so this was February 25, 2020. Mm-hmm. And we went into shamanic activation. We went um, into a deep journey. And the message was, clean your house, clean your house. Um, and those of in my inner circle um, left shitty relationships, uh, made sure all the legal papers were done. Some moved um, um, cities, um, closed businesses, left relationships, moved house. We started to clean our house. We started it. Who knew that it was going to be called COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Who knew what was going to be called COVID? So that happened in March. Um, and as we, as the months rolled by, we needed to clean our house before the country went into lockdown. And Australia went into serious lockdown. We went locked yeah. down every other country. We couldn't, you know, you couldn't enter, we couldn't leave. Um, and then 2021 was a five year. And now it's the year of the alchemist. So you've, you spent the year building. I, we, we, Far out! I pivoted so fast. I took every all all my offerings online and killed it, like absolutely killed it. And um, what does it mean to pivot? To pivot to pivot means to a redirection of energy, right? We got to redirect our energy away from fear, suspicion, freaking conspiracy theories. Now we just got to get it done. So 2021 was very much the year of the alchemist to not only alchemize what we've built, but alchemize this body get fitter, use the time to become smarter, to build on our skill set. And so for your audience, 2022 is a six year. The borders are opening up. It's the year for expansion. Now, um, if you have opportunities overseas to expand your relationships, to expand your network, this is the year to really do it and you will get planetary support. But in order to create more and bring more into our life we also have to let go mm-hmm. it's also the year of letting go do you have the courage to say this is not going to work for me anymore do you have the courage to say i'm out of this toxic relationship do you do you have the courage to let go of um 
the stories you've told yourself about yourself and believe. And uh, in order for rebirth, there's always parts of us that need to die first, right? Do you have the courage to go through that death? Because if you understood what the new energetics and the planetary alignments and, and just you can just see it on the macro of where the world's going, right? Um, there'll be more uncertainty than ever before. But the strength of your character, the strength of your life, the deliciousness of your life will be directly proportional to how much uncertainty you can handle. The more uncertainty we can handle and embrace and be okay with, the more delicious your life is going to be. There's opportunity everywhere. And so that's what I wanted to express to, you, to, to your audience for 2022, to expand our relationships, to have more potent ones. But that also means to let go, let go of old stories, let go of shitty people, let go of um, jobs that you hate, all that stuff. Uh, uh, new energy fresh energy potent energy can't come in unless you 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 get rid of the the, the toxicity and mm -hmm. um uh so that's what i wanted to leave your audience for for 2022 it's the most exciting time to be alive the most exciting time to be alive i feel so happy that you told me this because yeah. i went into this year telling myself it was going to be the year of evolution yes and i literally just made a vision board yesterday and i had a list of goals and one of the goals f said verbatim to forgive to yeah. release fear and to accept growth wonderful <laughs> Because those are all of the things that I have perpetually for most of my life held on to was like resentment, the fear of being vulnerable and yeah. all both of those things blocking my ability to continue to grow and evolve. Yeah. And and so I have a very different spin on forgiveness and, and a very different spin mm -hmm. on vulnerability. So I'm, I don't easily forgive. I f the first person I forgive is always myself, mm -hmm. always myself. I also forgive that the event happened. Mm -hmm. I forgive that the event happened. I don't forgive other people. Forgive is to give before something happens. I don't forgive unless that person has right their wrongs. Mm -hmm. Because that's where that's you're still going to resent. You're still going to. Mm -hmm. And but but can you practice detachment? so yeah. that you're not attached to that in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but rather than, um, so practice detachment, but from the very get-go, practice unattachment so that you don't have to detach in the first place. And so for the forgiveness, when the forgiveness for ourselves, how we showed up, how, you know, how long we held it for, just to integrate it all and be okay with us. And then also to forgive that the event happened forgive mm -hmm. that the event happened and and what is vulnerability vulnerability is the potent value exchange of authentic expression without the fear of what the other person thinks <laughs> and i think that's what true true vulnerability is and those who can do vulnerability with absolute respect there's a whole lot of competence that can come that comes with it as well so that it's not um uh, uh fall it doesn't fall into the basket of manipulation it's purely mm -hmm. a, a, a value exchange of authenticity without the fear of if you're going to judge me um mm -hmm. if you're going to you know spread more gossip it's the just the truest expression of your unis of your universe oh man i'm like f f buying your book the minute this episode ends <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank like, you. I, the, the, first one is, the first one's become quite the collector's item, um, but the second one is, is, is doing very well. I self-published that one. I'm so glad I did. Oh, I love it all. Oh my gosh. There's just, we might have to do a part two episode down the line because Yay. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've not gotten enough. I know. I feel like we're like barely peeling off like the first layer. And there's like <laughs> 25 more layers that need to be covered. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, this was just our brief taste into you, into your life, into all your perspective and all of the offerings that you can provide to myself and all the listeners. It's just, it's so much and I'm so thankful for it. And I feel so blessed to even be able to experience this convo and learn from you. Um, I do always just ask all my guests because as I had told you at the start of the episode before we even recorded that my one mission with this podcast is to celebrate women's stories. And I feel like this element of sisterhood is so important in order to fully celebrate each other that there has to be a bond and acceptance as one and um, always just kind of remembering that we're not alone, that there are so many other women and just people in general out there that go through things. And I, I always am curious as to like, what does sisterhood mean to my audience and to my guests? And so I'd love to just hear a little bit of your perspective on what that word is and like what it entails and like what the capacity of its power is. Absolutely. So um, uh, sisterhood for me, um, when I talk about that, I talk about my uh, deep inner circles, those who are in my orbit, um, sisterhood for those who are close to me is unquestionable loyalty, unquestionable loyalty, as well as radical transparency, radical transparency, call it in the moment so that it is faced, it's done and it doesn't compound. It doesn't compound sisterhood on the macro is unquestionable support and celebration. The, the celebration of um, uh, successes, the celebration of um, expression rather than the devaluing or the contraction of. It's all about, always about expansion, expansion. How do we grow in depth and breadth and width and essence? So beautiful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Oh, well, I am honestly already sad that I have to bring this to an end. I Like I said, I could just go all night long and I still have a quarter of a bottle left. But um, I just tell everybody how they can find you, how they can stay in touch, how they can learn more about you, how they can read about all your offerings. Because um, I know if they're listening to this right now, they're they're trying to figure out, they're Googling you already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Mel, first of all, thank you so much for having me. The joy has been mine. It's been so much fun. Um, uh, please go to my website. Um, whatever resonates with you will resonate with you. Um, um I am a polymath. Um, I do a whole lot of things. I do them very well. I am a panpsychic um, and I, I don't call myself a healer because I don't want the responsibility. I think that um, personal responsibility is key. Um, I have assisted many people, many, many people to heal themselves though. Um, otherwise, um, LinkedIn or Instagram, uh, Pauline N Speaks, uh, the spiritual entrepreneur. 
And of course, podcasts. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I will link all of your things in the episode description so they could do a quick click and find you. Thank you. But my book, <sighs> The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, is a great entry entry level mm-hmm. into, into my work. Amazing. I'm getting both books. I need to, Yay. I need both books. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so, thank so you. much. Meta, oh, meta, I've, meta, I've, meta. Thank you. I've already expanded just in the past hour we've been chatting. I can feel just the inches expanding, the energy, the vibration. I feel it. So thank you so awesome. much for, for being here activated. With me. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Like green light go, activation on. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Blessings to you and your audience. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show and you've been getting some value over it over the past couple of years, please be sure to swing by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a written review and then head over to the Spotify platform And give us a five-star rating over there as well as they recently just launched reviews for podcasts. Podcast reviews are a huge help in attracting new listeners and showing the algorithms that this podcast deserves to be featured on their platforms. I really hope everybody enjoyed this episode with Pauline and I hope you're stepping away feeling a lot more inspired than you were when you came into it. I'll see you guys next week. Bye.